Marvelites, you are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 425. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink, a.k.a. Lorraine Deer. Jingle, jangle, jingle, jangle. It's almost the holidays. Tinkle, tangle. <laughs> Tinkle, tangle. You know the classic phrase. This Week in Marvel is all about things happening at Marvel. This week, it's so cool. There's so much going on at all times, whether it's new comic books, movies, TV shows, games, toys, and news, so much fun stuff. This week, a Star War comes to a theater near you, so we're talking more about a Star War, and we have a very, very special guest from Lucasfilm. So let's kick it off with the announcement of the brand new Marvel comic event, Empire, which is about to debut at the end of December, which is like right now. It's basically now. It's a week away! We know that it's going to kick off in Incoming, which is available for pre-order now. That's the issue that comes out next week. It is 96 pages thick. That's a big daddy of a comic book. Yeah, it is really good. It's done by pretty much most of the Marvel Comics creators out there. If you have a favorite, they're writing a story, they're drawing a story. It's really cool. There's a murder mystery. You're going to love it. But what an exciting way to end Marvel's 80th anniversary, right? I know. It's really, it's actually pretty great as the capper to a fun anniversary year. Yeah, baby. Yeah, but uh, that's comic books. We're going to have some more comic stuff to talk about in a second. But there's good stuff happening even in Marvel games land like Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, The Black Order, DLC Pack 2, X-Men Rise of the Phoenix that was announced at the Game Awards and it will be released on December 23rd. So that's super duper soon. Yeah, that's like Monday. I know because I have scripts due. Also, (laughs) uh, there are going to be four more X-Men joining the Alliance. That's Phoenix, Gambit, Iceman, and Cable with the purchase of... Of the Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 The Black Order expansion pass. Uh, the pack introduces the newly added Danger Room mode, where two to four players will compete to see who can take down the most bosses. You have a Switch, right? Or did you lose your Switch? My Switch is missing in action. I've been looking for it for two weeks because I'm not an adult. <laughs> I was going to say, we should play MUA 3 together in the office and goof <gasps> off, but... You have to find your (laughs) video game console. But there's even more for MUA 3. There will be newly added costumes for a number of playable characters as part of a free update on December 23rd. We've also talked a lot about Marvels lately because of the 25th anniversary. Plus, there's the recent podcast adaptation. When we say Marvels, we do mean the classic comic book series about the humans amongst the Titans. So I'm so excited that Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross are reuniting for Marvel's Snapshots. Yeah, this one's going to be super cool. It's eight standalone, double-sized issues, super neat creative teams. We haven't given out all the details, but these creative teams are curated by Marvel's writer, Kurt Busiek, and it's going to have covers by Alex Ross. The first is going to be Submariner, yeah, yeah, yeah. Marvel Snapshot number one by Alan Brennert, who he was a writer for L.A. Law and The Twilight Zone with art by Jerry Ordway, who if you know comics as a whole, you know he's got a ton of work for our distinguished competition. He's not done a ton of stuff for us, but he has that amazing way to hit old school like classic looking superheroes. If you like a barrel chested, like <laughs> two fisted superhero he can draw the heck out of it. Also, we've got Marvel Hero Tales. It is a new learning game. It helps kids learn vocabulary terms and storytelling skills, and you can get it in the App Store. It's super cute. Uh, there's also news that dropped this week of a new Cable series. First issue coming in March by Jerry Duggan and Phil Noto. It is 
cool as hell. I'm very excited for this one. What a great creative team. I know, them <laughs> boys. Uh, and last but not least, it's finally time for a very special upcoming Marvel event we've been so excited about for a while now. That's right. We are, of course, talking about celebrating Marvel's Stan Lee. Stars of the Marvel Universe are going to assemble to celebrate the life and legacy of the legendary Stan Lee in an ABC News production celebrating Marvel Stan Lee. It's a 60-minute television special hosted by Clark Gregg. You can hear from Tom Hiddleston, Paul Bettany, Kobe Smulders, Ming-Na Wen, Mark Hamill, Kevin Smith, Todd McFarlane, and many more share their memories of Stan. Viewers are going to go on a real journey following Stan's life, his impact on the world of popular culture, and You'll get to watch never-before-seen footage from deep within the Marvel and ABC archives. This brand-new special airs on Friday, December 20th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, only on ABC. It'll hit you in the feels, but it's also really inspiring and amazing. And if you care about the process of storytelling, it'll teach you some stuff. Heck yeah. It's also going to teach you a lot about Marvel history, something we've been doing all year long here on This Week in Marvel History, where it's a, a dive across 80 years of Marvel history, whether it's creator milestones or special issues or movie releases or so much more. We are coming down to the wire. Only two more episodes left. This week, we are talking about December 20th through the 26th, and we are starting out with a big one, December 20th, 1940. Captain America, Bucky, and the Red Skull debut in Captain America Comics number one by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. It is a jam-packed, huge issue of bad guy punching, all-American action. The Red Skull in the story is actually a guy named George Mason. He's an American trader working with the Germans and the Axis powers. He's wearing a mask, this really creepy mask. He kills a bunch of people in this issue, and he just dies at the end. Uh, he falls on a syringe of his own like evil like Red Skull juice. He's the first Red Skull we'd meet, but certainly not the last. Yeah. December 24th, 1974, Misty Knight makes her debut in Marvel premiere number 21 by Tony Isabella and Arvel Jones. Misty only makes a small appearance in this issue attacking Iron Fist because she believes Fist has hurt Colleen Wing, but Misty would later go on to become a badass cop, hero, adventurer, hero for hire, and daughter of the dragon. I'm obsessed with these early comics with Misty Knight and Colleen Wing. You can read them on Marvel Unlimited as well. And um, a bunch of them are like black and white kung fu style issues. And it's just like two ladies who lean on each other and are like, no, we're doing this together. And then they cry and hold each other's faces and then fight guys. Yeah. It's the best. That sounds awesome. December 24th, 1985, Born Again continues in Daredevil number 229 by Frank Miller and David Mazzucchelli as Matt Murdock fights for his life on the streets, literally waking up atop a trash pile. Uh, he then gets stabbed by a thug. Actually, it's Turk, who's had uh, appearances on the Netflix shows and in many comics. Um, he gets stabbed by Turk, who's wearing a Santa Claus outfit, and a ton more stuff happens to him. Matt is then, by the end of the issue, reunited with his mother after she'd not been in his life for decades. She's now a nun. It's a whole bunch of stuff going on, as well as in the story. By the end of it, you see Kingpin pumping iron. He's in his penthouse, uh, like on his Bowflex or whatever, and he's worrying that his master plan to destroy Daredevil may not have succeeded. And you see like the sweat dripping down, both from like the nervousness and from just the just getting so swole. There are no superhero costumes in this issue. It's just a hell of a good story. 
December 21st, 2005, Darwin debuts in the second story in X-Men Deadly Genesis number two by Ed Brubaker and Pete Woods. A mutant with the ability to evolve and adapt to survive anything, his origin is tragic. In the issue's main story by Brubaker and Trevor Harrison, Banshee is seemingly killed while trying to save a plane of civilians. Poor Darwin. It's such a cool power, too. Like, what an idea, though. Like, he gets bullied and his head put into a toilet bowl and he grows gills. And I was like, oh, that's neat. That they would then take that idea when the Darwin character would show up in X-Men First Class. Yeah. Yeah, really neat. All right, December 26, 2012, Amazing Spider-Man number 700 is a massive 104-page anniversary special issue with numerous stories. It's got previews, galleries, a letter column with Stan Lee, the whole kit and caboodle. In the main story by Dan Slott and Berto Ramos, Dr. Octopus finally takes over Spider-Man's body, becoming the superior Spider-Man. And Peter Parker's consciousness dies in Otto's dying body. What a just tremendous story and issue. I remember when Dr. Octopus took over his body and I thought, how am I going to feel about this story? And then I loved it. And I was like, oh, no, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's, so fun. It's tremendous. Next up, December 21st, 2016, a trip to the toy store during the holiday season goes wrong in Power Man and Iron Fist Sweet Christmas Annual Number 1 by David F. Walker and Scott Hepburn. What a delight. There are so many great holiday issues. Man, oh, man. We will have a really fun holiday reading list that's going up on the website in the coming days. So if you guys want to get into the holiday spirit with some comics from Marvel Unlimited, that'll be up there for you all. You know, Marvel Unlimited is a great thing. And it's something we're going to talk about right now thanks to our sponsor, Marvel MasterCard. Yeah. Hey, comic book fans, did you know you could be earning cashback rewards for buying comic books? Well, how you ask... With the Marvel MasterCard, you can learn how at marvelmastercard.com slash TWIM. Yeah, you could earn 3% cashback rewards paid as a statement credit on comic books, movies, restaurants, and more with the Marvel MasterCard. And 1% cashback rewards paid as a statement credit on all other purchases. There's no limit on the cashback rewards you can earn. Enjoy special Marvel benefits like three months of a Marvel Unlimited subscription. See, I told you we were going to talk about it. You can choose your superhero from one of six cool card designs as well, like... Iron Man, Black Panther, and Spider-Man, just to name a few of them. Visit marvelmastercard.com slash T-W-I-M to learn more and apply today. That's marvelmastercard.com slash TWIM. All right, if you have your Marvel MasterCard, you should be buying some Marvel comics. And you know, we have another podcast called Marvel's Pull List, where every week we talk about all the new Marvel comics that come out. And I don't do that one alone. I am joined by someone very special. What happens when I press this button? Beep, boop, beep, boop. Oh, my God, it's Tucker Marcus. He's here. That's me riding in on my Segway. Yeah. <laughs> we have such a big, spacious new office. We got to <laughs> use Segways to get around. Yeah. It's great. Tucker, how you doing? Hey, folks. How are you? <laughs> wow. Really <laughs> crushing it. Uh, we're doing great. Tucker, what are the top books from this week's episode of Marvel's Pull List? Uh, this week, uh, if I recall correctly, off the top of my dome ski, we talk about King Thor number four, History of the Marvel Universe number six, Star Wars Empire Ascendant number one, and Star Wars The Rise of Kylo Ren number one as well. Yeah. Uh, you can subscribe to Marvel's Pull List wherever you get your podcasts, and that includes Pandora and so many other places. And then you can watch video versions of the show on Marvel.com and YouTube and Twitter and everywhere else. Uh, the video versions are a little bit different, and they're fun, and they're wacky. But, you know, we just mentioned two Star Wars mm-hmm. books in there. Those are your picks for this week. 
And this is a very special week because it is the release, yeah, of yeah. the ninth film in the Skywalker Saga series of Star Wars Pictures. How are you feeling? Uh, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I've officially I deleted Twitter app off my phone. I'm feeling sweaty, but like, you know, in, in, in good ways. Yeah. Yeah. I've been doing a full rewatch of every Star Wars film. Nice. I've been attempting it, I should say, because with a baby- it's tough. It's taken yeah. four sessions to watch every single movie. Right. I'm really jealous. I wish I had time to do that. I did not plan ahead. Uh, we, yeah, we my tried. planning has been so poor. Um, Same. The other thing that we've done is my wife has found that Hallmark makes Star Wars ornaments that you can put a photo on and then like a messaging and stuff. There's one of a picture of us, a really sweet picture of us, and it says, I love you. I know. Mm-hmm. And it has the, uh, the Rebel Alliance symbol on it. And she ordered one for our baby because we have a picture of her with the Yoda um, hat on. Uh-huh. And it's, it was supposed to be Jedi in training uh-huh. and her name. It came sent back with two TIE fighters and uh, the Sith logo. <laughs> and my wife lost it. She was on the phone with Hallmark immediately being like, you guys made my baby a Sith. And like she was fully, she was like freaking out. And the guy on the other line was Amazing. The Hallmark customer service was so good about it, but it was I was watching it, I was like, damn. Wow. I hope it's not a premonition. Dun dun dun. <laughs> well, she's gonna bring balance back to the force <laughs> one way or another. Yeah, so this episode we're gonna wrap up. It's our third of three Star Wars centric episodes that we've done. This one was really fun. We wanted to have you back, Tucker, because we got to go to Lucasfilm and actually like hang out there. Yeah, it was um I, it, I, it still feels surreal even now, what to was, be honest. What was the craziest thing for you, Tucker, when you got there? Okay, so walking around and seeing all the sites, uh, the, whether it's like old props or um, like filmmaking tools from decades past or anything, or people in the hallway. I believe that I mentioned that when we talked to Matt, but uh, I, I, it was a combination of being... And this is what I've said to people since is it's a combination of being at the place where Star Wars happens uh, and where ILM is and all these like amazing things that I've been obsessed with for basically my entire life. And then also being in just like what happens to be like the nicest office in America. Uh, It was which was like almost a separate experience. It was crazy. Like we went to the commissary and like had lunch and there's just these like giant enormous windows that just have this panoramic view of the Golden Gate Bridge and all this stuff. It was just like surreal experience after surreal experience. Did you cry? I didn't. It was funny because before going, I was like, oh man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep together. I'm going to lose my mind. But then I was like, you know what? This is professional. I'm a pro. I'm going there for work. Uh, I'm going to be, you know, a big business boy. And I wore a suit and carried a briefcase. (laughs) Um, uh, Empty briefcase, (laughs) naturally. Yep. So um, no, I I managed. I managed just barely, yeah. And the the other person who was with us who was in a similar state was Matthew Rosenberg, 
who's a writer of many Marvel comics. He has written um, some Star Wars stuff recently, Star mm-hmm. Wars issue number 108, which was a one-shot, a sort of direct sequel to the original Marvel comics run that came out this year. It was uh, really fun. It had characters like Jackson and Valance and mm-hmm. more. And Matt also wrote the prequel to Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which is Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order Dark Temple, a five-issue miniseries with art by Paolo Villanelli, um, which having played the game and read the comic it's such a strong pairing. If you play the game, highly suggest you read the comic just to get some really cool extra info about some characters you see throughout the entirety of the game. Uh, it was really neat. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it was great to be there with Matt as well because here's the thing, like with any friend of mine or person that I get to talk to who is an expert in a field that I'm not, whether that's someone who, a friend of mine who is uh, really into music or a friend of mine who is an actor or a friend of mine like Matt who's a writer and, you know, a deeply creative person in that way. I'm just like constantly just pestering with questions about process and about ideas and about all these things. We were walking around and Matt was telling us about like this novel that he just started writing like in his 20s just for fun, this Star Wars concept that he had. And uh, just hearing that from Matt was just so cool. Yeah. yeah. And we say Matt, but there are actually two, two Matts that we have on this episode. Not just Matthew Rosenberg, but Matt Martin as well. He is part of the Lucasfilm Story Group. And so it was great to talk to him in this capacity, really getting into what he does, you know, what he's all about. And um, yeah, you were just lighting up, like getting into oh, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, when you're a fan of Star Wars and Lucasfilm properties and, and history, company history, like reading, you know, like the J.W. Rensselaer history of Star Wars books and things like that, and just becoming innately familiar with the esoterica of not just how the Star Wars canonical stories, but of like how these things are made and all of that stuff. So I was familiar with Matt Martin and then going and getting to talk to him about all these things was so much fun. And one of the things that I was so fascinated by and talking to him and something that I've actually thought a lot about since was the components of Star Wars. That is something that I think I've thought about every single day since going to San Francisco is just like, what are the core components? What are the essential components of of a Star Wars story, aside from aesthetics, aside from maybe some familiar characters or something? And it's a really, really fascinating thing to dig into. Heck yeah. yeah. I can't wait to hear this interview with Matt Martin and Matt Rosenberg. We're at Lucasfilm here in San Francisco, and we brought Matt Martin in from the Story Group. Hi, guys. And we brought Matt Rosenberg in from the Marvel Comics Group. Hi. (laughs) Uh, We always like to have two Matts in a room. That is is a Lucasfilm law. You must have two Matts. It's real weird. I don't know why. It sounds like a joke, but I've I've been in a room with five mats once really? at Lucasfilm. There's a lot of us. Uh, I'm a big Kids in the Hall fan, so I think of these are the, the days, days I know. know. Sure. Yeah. Oh man. Anyway, uh, I want to start things off by asking uh, the mats, what are your Marvel <laughs> origin stories? So particularly with you, Matt Martin, we've never had. Uh, you know, Rosenberg has been on the show a bunch of times. Matt Martin, you've—I don't think we've ever done one of these proper. No. How did you get into being a Marvel fan? I think it was probably X-Men the animated series that that was like right in my kind of wheelhouse and that brought me into reading comics religiously so that was foundational like I got into Batman the animated series as well but it didn't I loved it but it didn't make me transition into a reader but it was X-Men that was like oh I'm I'm a I'm a comic person now yeah 
I've basically been a Marvel guy ever since then. And I mean, you know, because I bug you for, for comics sometimes that I read a lot of comics. Yeah. I read a lot of the stuff you guys do. And I've I been, appreciate it. been doing that for many, many <laughs> decades. I'm an old person, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting thing because you, you're talking about like being an avid comic reader now, but that's also like part of your job in yeah. a way. What do, you, what do you read for fun? What are you reading right now? I just started Spider-Man Life Story because oh, I've, I've started waiting until the arcs are done. So I still read single issue, but I wait until the, the arcs have completed. So I just finished or I'm, I'm like halfway through that. And that book is so good. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Uh, Matt, what was your Marvel origin story? Remind us. Yes. Uh, My older brother, Mark, who's uh, at home listening. Hi, Mark. (laughs) Hi, Mark. (laughs) Um, Mark. He's almost definitely not doing that. But you know what? (laughs) Edit that out. Uh, He used to uh, forbid me from touching his stuff for a good reason. And then he would go out, which was his mistake. And I would go into his room and I would grab anything that looked cool and... His X-Men comics were the thing when I was three and four that I was just drawn to. And I, I sort of learned to read, reading Chris Claremont, X-Men. And I actually grew up, there was a comic book store on my block where I grew up in New York City. It was the only place I was allowed to go on my own because it was just like you cross one street. Like if I can cross West End Avenue and not get hit by a car, my parents were like, okay, that's it. Like he, he, he can go out and do that one thing. Um, and the first uh, comic I ever collected was Star Wars. The Marvel oh, Star Wars. It was like that. the first like back issue. Do you remember which issue? I don't know what the first issue I got was. I have the whole run from when I was a kid. Um, I it took me a long time to get some of them, but uh, no, I, I I was jumping around. It would be like I'd have two dollars, and they'd be like, "Well, this one's two fifty, and I'd be like, um, "Can you maybe give it to me for two? And they'd be <laughs> like, "Yeah, fine." So. Uh, no, I don't have a specific issue that was, like, the issue for me, but, like, that was the first thing that I ever, like, it wasn't just, like, there's a book in front of me and I'm reading it, but, like, oh, I'm trying to get all of this, like, collect it, like, bags and boards. Yeah. Um, when you say you, you know, learn to read by Claremont's X-Men, that explains why you're so dramatic. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Uh, I- I always say, like, the when I was a little kid, I was reading, like, Dark Phoenix, and I was like, I don't know what this means at all, but I love it so much. And then, you know, when I was, like, a teenager, I was like, I'm going to read that again. And I was like, I don't know what it means, but I love it. <laughs> and now I'm, like, a grown-ass dude, and I read it. I'm like, yeah, I still don't kind of understand it, but I still really, really love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I asked the origin story about Marvel. I never get to ask, what is your Star Wars origin story, which I think is so cool. And so, Matt Martin, what is your Star Wars origin story? Uh, I mean, Star Wars has been such a huge part of my life, even more so than than comic books. But so I, I was kind of raised during the dark times where there wasn't really a lot of Star Wars going on. So like it was there. It was in the zeitgeist. I was alive technically for Return of the Jedi, but I'm pretty sure I didn't see it in the theater. If I did, I was probably screaming like, you know, an annoying child. But uh, I very, very, very vividly remember the sleepover that I had when I was like seven years old. And my friends decided that they wanted to watch Return of the Jedi. And it's like, you know, I, I knew it, but I didn't know it, know it. And it was late. It was like midnight. And so we sat down. We watched Return of the Jedi. Everybody passed out because, like I said, it was late. And I was just blown away to the point where I left the sleepover and I walked back to my house <laughs> so I could watch the other two, <laughs> which my dad had on bootleg VHS. Nice. Um, and then, no joke, I watched a Star Wars movie every single night of my life until I was like 14. Whoa. Does that include wow. like the Ewok movies or is it I mean, just... they weren't in regular rotation, right. but yeah, I did, I did 
watch them Fantastic. pretty frequently. I love that. Matt Rosenberg, what about you? The first movie I remember seeing in theaters was Return of the Jedi, and I was very, very little, and just being like, oh, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And then it was the same. I had like the bootleg taped off TV versions that I would watch. I would come home from school and watch every day. And, um, you know, every action figure and uh, I still have them all. And uh, the, yeah, it was like, it, the it's funny to talk about the dark times because it, it was just really weird because like for me, Star Wars was a very like, solitary thing like I didn't talk about it with anyone I was just like oh this is my favorite thing and like I don't know anyone who likes it like I have friends who like it I guess but like not really and it, it wasn't a public part of my life and so I have this very strange relationship to like the Star Wars community because like I meet people all the time and they're like oh you like Star Wars and it's like you know my uh, I own two life-size Yodas like I, I like <laughs> what yeah I have two I have the episode one and the episode two life-size Yodas um <laughs> You know, I have like, you know, a storage bin full of Star Wars stuff that I've collected my whole life. I have, you know, the original 77 to 85 figures. Like I have the whole run. I have the the original books like that I've had my whole life and just cherished and taken care of. But like I don't, I never really talked about it. My first tattoo was a Star Wars tattoo and I went and got it when I was 15. I got the Rebel Alliance logo and like the guy who tattooed me was like, what is this? And it was like, it was hard for me to find the logo to bring. It took me like a week to find something that had it on it. And That's I, interesting, too, because that is during the dark time, right? Yeah, when, yeah. If you were 15, that would have been before the, the special editions yeah, come yeah. out. So it's just like this time where nobody cared as much. That yeah, was yeah. exactly it. It was, it was bizarre. And it was, it was a completely solitary thing for me, yeah. too. Where like, and I was, I was, I guess I'm slightly younger than you, so I didn't have many of the toys. So like my mom would go to garage sales like a trooper to find those toys because I wanted to play with them. So like I still have this pretty sweet vintage Kenner collection that basically you know i had as a kid because my mom went out and got them or like the west end game rpg books yeah. i would read just like they were you know novels right. because that was the only star wars i could get yeah i like the all the and then when the novels came out like the novels were like so crazy and so different like the the early lando books are so insane and i was like i love them but they're so much more like hard sci-fi in a way and like it was really exciting because it was the first time that, like, Star Wars had opened up at all. And I was like, oh, there's more. Like, there's not just more in my head. There's more. And it's so different. And, like, that to me was huge when the when those novels started coming out. There's, a like, an old copy of Splinter of the Mind's Eye oh, yeah. over there on a bookshelf <clears throat> near where we were recording. And I was just like, I want that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so nice. Tucker, what about you? You're a little bit younger than the three of us. Yeah, I love being young as hell. It's my, <laughs> my favorite thing. <laughs> Um, we're all jealous. <laughs> I just, you've, you've heard of Star Wars? You know yeah. what it is? Yeah. I, I guess I got pretty lucky in that I skipped over the dark times. And my first, I remember, I remember being at my childhood home and my grandfather was just visited randomly what feels like just for no reason one night with the, uh, the VHS box set with the Leonard Malton George yeah. interviews before yeah. them. So to me, weirdly, that is like as ingrained in Star Wars for me as anything else. It's just like these very thoughtful like film criticism like questions and like filmmaking questions with from Leonard Malton, which is just very, I just have a very special place in my heart for that. So that's like that side of things. And I think because I just didn't have any context for what that was, it just felt like an old movie. 
but, but I wore the Return of the Jedi VHS out specifically. But that still felt like it was just kind of detached from this other thing. And then I remember when I went to see uh, The Phantom Menace at the uh, local mall, I went with me and one of my best friends to this day, Bill, and then our dads. And it wasn't just that experience. It was going to that, and I would have been six and a half years old when that came out. We went then to the food court afterwards, and we were just completely obsessed and blown away. And I remember sitting... It was, I was sitting next to my dad and Bill was sitting next to his dad and we would try and use like the force to move a straw wrapper on the table and what I didn't realize at the time but it was just such a wonderful little childhood memory is our dads were leaning behind our shoulders and blowing all over our shoulders to like move the straw a little bit on the table and uh yeah that's in the cradle in the spoon. <laughs> i haven't seen him since um uh uh yeah so yeah it was just that whole experience and then i remember seeing it like doing like a essentially like a double feature and seeing the phantom menace and tarzan oh. which tarzan <laughs> the phil collins soundtrack tarzan? that's what i thought yeah, yeah. <laughs> phil collins soundtrack tarzan i, I, I didn't I remember, remember there was a phil collins soundtrack <laughs> and i thought you were about to say the phil collins one like Where he was, was tarzan, tarzan and i was in my head i was like is that possible that's a thing <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I wish it was. Well, it, it, that, that just got me thinking about like these early formative experiences with Star Wars and just loving that as this world that you can dive into. For you both maths, now you guys, you know, you, you have like these creative responsibilities as your job. And so that transition is always so fascinating to me because there's a moment where you have the realization that you love Star Wars or you see your first Star Wars movie or, or the X-Men animated series, whatever it would have been. Um, that just gets you so excited. And then I feel like there's another moment where you realize people do this and people make this and this is their job. Um, uh, uh, what was that moment for? And what was the moment where it was like, oh, this thing that I'm obsessed with, I can pursue and I can go out and, and become not necessarily that you had whatever your job is specifically in mind, but just the idea that like people do this. It's an interesting question. Yeah. I think for me i grew up and there was like my my parents were both filmmakers and and writers and so the idea of like where movies and tvs come from was not yeah it wasn't very mystifying to mm-hmm. me i i like grew up on sets and and seeing how things were made and uh so like i i don't remember a point when i didn't understand like george lucas and irvin kershner and like these people and what their roles were mm-hmm. and like all of it. Um, so, like, I have a weird relationship to a lot of things that way that, like, I've always sort of understood the creative process. There was never a, like, Santa yeah. Claus isn't real moment yeah. for the things I loved as a kid. And I think partially that was my parents, like, kind of ingrained that in me, that, like, the things you consume, like, entertainment-wise, like, someone made them yeah. and, like, be appreciative of that and, like, you know, pay for the media you, you know, like, consume and, and respect it and, like, things like that. But... The idea of making stuff, actually my untold origin story as a comic book writer, um, I was, uh, I worked in the music business and I didn't want to be a writer particularly and I was getting, thinking of leaving the music business and I was like, well, the things I love are comic books and Star Wars Mm -hmm. and my first thing I wanted to do, I was like, I'm going to spec a Star Wars novel and see like how it works and if I can send that to like publishing and see and I was like I don't know how it works and I wrote six chapters of a Star Wars novel and like 
then I was like, oh, wait, I don't like prose. I don't like writing <laughs> prose. Like, I don't. And I, I really liked the story and all this stuff. And then I was like, no, I'm just going to make comics and try and get a job making comics. And it didn't dawn on me to try and make Star Wars comics. But, like, working at Marvel was a big goal. And then when Star Wars came, like, I was reading all the Dark Horse books when they were coming out, and I loved them. But, it I, like, I just had a disconnect from that, that I was like, oh, I want to work at Marvel, and, like, I enjoy these as a fan. Mm-hmm. And when Star Wars came back to Marvel, I was just like, oh, I that's I want to do that. <laughs> like, so that was a big thing. But, yeah, I have six chapters of a novel that no one will ever read. Are um, you sure? Because I would love to see that. <laughs> I feel like we're making deals happen. Tucker uh, gets twelve percent. I get three. Uh, I may have some notes. The, <laughs> the funny thing about the the my Star Wars novel is that um, everything in it that was a good idea is in Rogue One, but like ten thousand times better. <laughs> and I watched Rogue One, and I was like, "Oh, that's how that would have been done well." Like, "Oh, that's that, but cool." So yeah, that's great, Matt. Matt Martin, what was that moment like for you? Do you, do you can you pinpoint it? I mean, ever since I got obsessed with Star Wars, I, I wasn't as kind of enlightened as mm-hmm. Matt was to where I I understood conceptually like that movies were a thing that were made by people, but I didn't go much deeper than that. But honestly, like that green, a Lucasfilm production logo that showed up, or not even really logo, it was just text at the time mm-hmm. that showed up, got so into my head that when people would ask me what I want to do, I'd be like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work for Lucasfilm. Wow. I had no idea what I wanted to do, but like no joke, since I was probably eight or nine, I've been telling people I want to work for Lucasfilm. And then they're like, yeah, funny. Sure, kid. And then my, my backup was like, uh, or Imagineering. Imagineering would be cool. And now it's like extra surreal because yeah. I you know get to work with the Imagineering team on Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So it's like I'm working at Lucasfilm and I'm an Imagineer adjacent. So it's, yeah, it's absurd. That's really crazy. <laughs> this gets to the heart of something that, I, since we knew we were coming to San Francisco, have been really curious to talk about. And Matt, as a writer of now Star Wars comics, maybe you can speak to this as well. But when you say that Star Wars authenticity, that's something that's so fascinating to me. And But what does that mean to you in the broadest sense, you know, in terms of every single facet of your job? How would you describe that? Because I think oftentimes it can be like, if you know, you know. When it, you're tasked with actually, you know, putting that into words, how do you do that? It's tough. I mean, yeah. it, it is a lot of if you know, you know, or someone will, will come up with an idea and you just instinctually know like there's something not Star Wars about that. But um, I think the key is looking to what inspired George in the first place. So kind of the old films that that he sort of kludged together to make into Star Wars mm. Is, is the key to all of it. Like all those kind of Kurosawa samurai films or Flash Gordon or, you know, any of the things like that that formulated his ideas is always what Star Wars kind of needs to go back to. So it's interesting because Star Wars has now been around for 40 years and people work on it and their main inspiration for working on Star Wars is Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people like, that's that's not the direction to go, especially, you know, talk to younger people on Twitter that haven't seen a movie that was made before 1990 and it's like if you want to understand Star Wars go back before Star Wars and you'll just see how all of these things really gel together and how George was able to kind of distill it and take the the coolest elements and make something you know completely unique that then has gone on to inspire all these other films that that kids are now growing up with that's that's so fascinating. That's so cool talking about breaking it down into the most fundamental elements. You guys, have, have you have you two worked, uh, you've worked a little bit 
together before, yeah. right? Across coasts. So maybe you can talk about this together. But Matt, when you're like ideating or when you're talking with Mark Panisha and Tom Roman, the, the editor of Star Wars books, the Marvel office, by the way, Matt Martin, when I, before I left, I talked to Mark Panisha and he said, send Matt our love. So there you go. <laughs> um, uh, it's on record now. Send That's awesome. Send you all our love. <laughs> um, that was from Mark. Uh, just slice that right in. Um, <laughs> when you're like you know, at having these early conversations about what is Star Wars 108 going to be or what is XYZ, you know, Star Wars project going to end up being, are those elements coming to mind or is it really just relying on instinct? It's a hard question. It's it's very interesting. I mean, Star Wars 108 was its own uh, strange beast because uh, we were continuing the original Marvel comics, which not only don't entirely feel like what comics today feel like, but they don't really feel like what you think of in Star Wars in a lot of ways, but like they do in a lot. Like they're super Star Wars, but also they're very alien in this in this fascinating way. So it was sort of a, a weird thought experiment to be like, I remember early talking to Mark Paniccia and he was like, write it like the originals. And I was like, I, I can try, but I don't think you actually want that. And he was <laughs> like, no, go for it. And I wrote, I, I sent him a page and I was like, they do like this many caption boxes of like internal monologue. I was like, it's very intense. And he was like, oh yeah, we can't run that much text <laughs> in a book. And I was like, I know, people would think it was crazy. So f- f- trying to find that, trying to find a way to like modernize what the 70s, 80s comics were, but but make it feel Star Wars for kids who never read those. And like, I mean, to me, it was one of the most fun things I've ever done just because so many people... Fans of the old books were really great and enthusiastic, but also kids were like, I love this. And they were like, I want more of this. And I'm like, well, that's issue 108. There's 107 <laughs> other issues. Like, go, get them. They're awesome. And I've had people come up and be like, oh, yeah, I, I loved it. But but for, like, doing now doing the Dark Temple, the Fallen Order book, it is a weird thing because, like you said, like, it's it's – it's a feeling that you have to chase. And like the, the, a lot of the Star Wars stuff I've been really excited about in the past few years is stuff that feels different but has that feeling. Like Rogue One is like, you know, a, a real war story in a way that Star Wars sometimes is not. And then like Solo is like a heist movie, but they still feel like that. And like trying to pinpoint exactly why. And some of it is like, yeah, going back to like, Kurosawa's Hidden Fortress and going back to Flash Gordon and like old 50s pulps. But I remember the moment for me when I realized that Star Wars was such a bigger idea was seeing the Phantom Menace and the Padre scene where I was like, this feels like Star Wars, but it's a racing scene. It's car racing. It's like George's love of of 50s car racing. It's American graffiti, but in the Star Wars universe. And I just realized like how versatile the Star Wars universe is and just trying to fit things in is sort of the most, I think it's the most fun thing to do is be like, how would this idea be Star Wars? Um, that's sort of the fun for me of playing with it. Do you, Matt, Matt Martin, do you feel like that, that speaks to something very interesting for me because it's like, can be as much about the technical demands of the medium or of the individual story you're trying to tell as much as it is about what the umbrella of what Star Wars is, is as someone that works not just across like media in terms of like media, but like in terms of like the parks and everything, how does that inform your work as much as, you know, the, the principles of, of Star Wars does? 
Yeah, I mean, the the medium is is a big part of it, especially yeah. when you're talking about the kind of interactive things like parks or games mm-hmm. or virtual reality, anything like that. Simply because it it has to, you know, answer different questions that you wouldn't answer, or you don't have control of the camera. Mm-hmm. You have to think about things that you just never would have had to think about in in a linear narrative. Um, which is it's cool. It's a really it's an interesting challenge, and it allows you, you know, as a storyteller to kind of find the best ways to solve for those challenges and it it makes it almost more more fun because you don't just have like an infinite box where you can do right. anything for like comic books feel so freeing because we don't even have a like a budget like you want to <laughs> you want to make a crazy planet you make a crazy planet you say that but i've talked to many artists who who are on the other side of that conversation <laughs> sure like, no, you, no you're a monster yeah. and like cursing you know but you got the you it. and Matt. Yeah. <laughs> they do it because they love it but they hate you yes no that's that's definitely true but it's certainly different than like animation or live action where you you physically like if you can't afford to shoot a scene you have to rewrite that scene or like a comic book you don't have to do that a game is or the parks or anything like that is is a different challenge where like the parks you're confined to an environment that we're physically building so any stories that come out of that or go into that all have to make sense kind of in perpetuity for the existence of a physical structure right, right. <laughs> Uh, you mentioned VR, uh, and you know, a couple months ago, got my hands on an Oculus Quest, and I immediately emailed you. It was like, <laughs> "Can I please, sir, have a uh, Vader Immortal?" And you were like, "Yes, it's going to blow your mind." And that, if anyone hasn't played Star Wars Vader Immortal Episode One on an Oculus Quest, with you're playing VR with no wires, no restrictions, it is that aha moment that like. This is a game changer. This is everything you, we've, we've been told could be possible. What is Vader Immortal and why does everyone need to play it? Um, I mean, like you're saying, like the Oculus Quest in general, it feels like a game changer for VR. Just you don't need, you don't need a computer, you know, anything crazy. It's just, you know, it's all in the headset. Yeah. It's self-contained. So that in itself makes it kind of a special thing. But Vader Immortal is, is probably the most intimate experience with Vader that you're ever going to get. Huh. Like, you know, dude walks right up to you and you're a foot away from him and he's making direct eye contact with you. And it's terrifying. <laughs> like, you really start to know, like, I realized how short I am <laughs> in that when I'm like, whoa, because I know exactly how tall Vader is. And yeah, it's it's scary. And, you know, it, it's telling a story inside of his castle, like inside of his space. And you're really intruding on him, which is something that's, you know, not something we've ever done before and something that feels so unique to the the VR space. And now episode two is even cooler because you get to use the force and Darth Vader actually trains you. Uh, he's not the <laughs> nicest teacher in the world, but you will, you will get to learn the force and it feels super intuitive how like you just naturally pick up on it and you, you start doing it and you don't even realize it's not like playing a video game where like, you know, I'm, I'm pressing a, like there is a button, but it's, it just feels so natural that it's like it's the motion you would do, you know, in the world. It's so cool. I do want to get a couple of quick hit uh, speed round questions. This one in mind because of Patrick, who is in the room, whose favorite Star Wars character is Ponda Baba. Uh, he's getting nods from the mats, which is <laughs> yeah. that's cred right there. Uh, what about you guys? What are your favorite Star Wars characters? Uh, Leia is my my always favorite. She's just, she's a perfect human being, and she's kind of inspirational, what I'd always love to be 
But I'm also a big Greedo fan, so you know, they they share they share a location, yeah. Panda yeah. and, and Greedo. Um, I I would also say I'm a big Leia fan. Um, but uh, my first and truest love is Yoda. Yeah. Um, you know, Panda Bob is great. I would love to just be like, oh, my favorite is, and pick someone from the cantina and be like, I'm a Lax of Rack fan. But I'm yeah, is that a real? <laughs> yeah. Wow, you deep cut. Yeah. He's, he's a wolf man. Um, oh, I know that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but like yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, it's Yoda. I, I have a soft spot for all the pod racers, as we were discussing before this started. <laughs> Tucker, what about you? You know, I when like growing up, not paying attention to class, so just doodle Star Wars stuff. So people have always asked me this question, I, and I've always answered by saying I have like my nice like normal answer, which it would be Han Solo, and then I have my like jerk esoteric Star Wars answer, which is Firmus Piet, because I love <laughs> the journey, the little like in the background journey that you get to see him take over the course of Empire and Return of the Jedi. Right. Yeah. Uh, another real speed one, uh, because we just did the Lucasfilm tour. Uh, it was the first time for Tucker and for Matt Rosenberg and Matt Martin. You've given me the tour before. You've given many tours. I want to know what is your favorite thing to show off on the tour? And for the two of you, what was your favorite thing that you saw on the tour? So favorite thing to show off, I guess there's two things. One is the Jar Jar and Carbonite. Uh, which is a fan-made creation that that George actually appreciated so much that he got it, which is just awesome and shows that you know George is you know he doesn't take this stuff overly seriously, which is exactly the the right way to enjoy entertainment like this. But also a, a newer addition is the the porg that's in the shelf over there. Like I'm a huge porg fan. I have a porg tattoo. Seeing a porg, a real porg in person, pretty great. Uh, by so the, to the listeners, there is a coffee shop called Java the Hut, and there is a whiteboard, and it was talking about like porgs, like eating them, eat, eat their young, eat their young, and like baked porg and like all this stuff. And I was, this is a lot. So <laughs> that whiteboard is not canon. No, <laughs> as said by the story group, Rosenberg. What, what's your favorite thing you saw? Uh, you know, all the Star Wars stuff I loved so much, but actually the thing that sort of blew me away was all the matte paintings from, and it's not just from Star Wars, it's from a ton of movies that uh, were produced, like effects and stuff were done here, and they, just the artistry, and there's things where you're like, oh, I've seen that movie a hundred times, and I didn't realize that that wasn't a real location. Yeah. Uh, they were really amazing. The city from E.T., like looking down from the hill with the lights, and it was like... I took a picture of it with my my camera and looking through it, I was like, it looks on my camera like <laughs> a real place. It was great. Did they show you the Star Wars Easter egg on that? No. Yeah, on that matte painting, if you look really close, Star Wars is playing on a, a drive-in movie theater. Oh, Get that's awesome. out. That's so well, cool. I got a picture on my yeah, phone. Yeah, if you zoom in, it's kind of, kind of the, the bottom uh, right corner. Uh, for me, it was, I mean, obviously all of it's, it's just so mind-blowing. It truly, I was worried coming in. We talked about it on the podcast a couple of weeks ago about I was worried coming here that it was going to be a little too surreal for me to just sit back and enjoy. Luckily, I'm having a great time. Uh, but uh, Pat, yes, I feel so much you. better now. Patrick and I shared a moment at one point in the tour because um, like – Star Wars and visual effects legend John Knoll walked past us in the hallway. And that felt like such a, a Star Wars specific fan moment where it was just like, I don't think really anyone in this group was just kind of looking at other stuff. And then John Knoll walked past us and immediately Patrick and I were just like, oh my God, did you see that? I saw that. If uh, ever I'm giving a tour and he walks by, I'm like, 
Yo, that guy created Photoshop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so we, of course, got to talk about Star Wars comics. We've been doing Star Wars comics for five years. You and I talk about this on Marvel's pull list a bunch about the importance of, yeah. uh, of Star Wars comics and how, like, it fills in so much cool character development and canon and elements for these characters that we love so much. It, it's just so impactful. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm constantly, like, shouting on the show. Like, if you like Star Wars and you want to be on the forefront of everything that's happening, like, this is so high up there in terms of, like, the magnitude and importance of the stories that are being told um, for characters that you may love for from other media or whatever it is, but it's so important. We are relaunching the flagship Star Wars series uh, written by Charles Soule this time. Greg Pak is taking on a new Vader series, and we have a few other books that I'm not sure if I'm allowed to talk about, but the entire series is basically shifting in time frame. It's been, you know, leading into Empire. Now we're going to be coming out of Empire, so we get to kind of see the immediate fallout from Empire Strikes Back. We're going to get to see how Vader deals with it, how Luke deals with it, maybe how Aphra deals with it, which, you know, is important to me. <laughs> yeah, uh, which is good because when I was thinking about the, like, there's this big wrap-up issue in December, right? That yeah. covers all the Star Wars titles. And I was like, oh, no, what's going to happen to Aphra? Like, that was my main thought. I was like, because she's a creation of this era of comics, and so I think she's so great. And I know you have major love for her. Like, I don't want to see her go away. No, I, I would be very sad to see her go away. Um, but strangely, I love watching terrible things happen to her. Yeah. Because <laughs> she brings it on herself. So uh, we will continue to see her and uh, we'll continue to have her making terrible decisions and paying for it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, first of all, when 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 did you start at Lucasfilm exactly? Uh, almost twelve years ago. Wow! Like on the dot, I think twelve years ago last week or something. Congratulations! Wow. Thank you. Oh, it's perfect timing. Um, so, given like the twelve years to today of your work, and now looking into the future, maybe uh, talking in vague terms, you work in the comics. You work on a, on a bunch of different things. What year of things? are you working on right now? And just <laughs> generally, can you talk about what you, how you're excited about those things? <laughs> I, I mean, I am generally excited about yes, everything just yes. as a Star Wars fan. Um, the year question is interesting because I work on so many different mediums. Right. So like I will be working on comic books that are coming out in like a month yeah. or may, maybe two months. They're probably anything that comes out in a month I'm done with. <laughs> um, I know some of the things I'm working on are probably 2025. Five wow. that far out. Wow, you know, like because even when we like the Marvel Comics Creative Retreat just happened a few weeks ago, and then we're talking, you know, the room was, was talking about things twenty twenty one and things like that, and that even that feels like wow, there is that is so far down the line, and but still like requires such intense planning to the moment. But yeah, and it's not like there's a lot of things that I, I mean, I'm sure there are things in twenty twenty five that I'm not even aware of, but <laughs> right. like I can think of at least one thing that may or may not even happen. <laughs> right, but if it does happen. It's probably that far off, which is which is cool. Like you know, you know something's going to be big and special when it has that much lead time. You should tell us what it is right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> especially because if it doesn't happen, then, <laughs> yeah, then yeah, everybody's going to be like, oh. not especially because I like my job, but especially if it doesn't happen. I don't want to disappoint <laughs> yeah. everybody. I, yeah, I've, I've, I've had this. I, I think I might have told. Yeah, I told Matt about this. I told some other people about like Marvel things that haven't happened and, and like the some various wild like 
projects and whatnot that have accumulated over the years. I love those, and I'm sure there's a bunch of those yeah. for Star Wars. Yeah, there's there's a lot, and there's some some that I I'm sad to see them go. Some were like, yeah, that was probably the right decision, <laughs> even though it was it was a cool concept. But like, you know, some things just throughout development don't quite work the way that you know you know the log line eventually or right. initially gets you hyped for. Um, which is cool about this company because they they put so much thought into everything that we put out that. You know, I think everything that, that we're putting out, everybody's kind of behind it, which is great. All right. Double mats. Thank you so much. Thank Feel you. good? Yeah. Yeah. We talked a little Star War. We talked a little Marvel. Everything's everything's great. Those are things I like. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's real good. What's good. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. The Star War is happening right now. Hope you enjoy it. Yeah, go to the theater right now. I'll probably be there also. I'm seeing it at, at 7 p.m. And uh, let's put our question of the week out there into the world. This week we're asking you, what was your favorite moment of this year? We're talking 2019. Favorite Marvel moment of 2019? Yeah, baby. Um, you can tweet oh. us your answers using the hashtag This Week in Marvel. You can email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com. Or you can send us a message on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash this week in Marvel. Man, this is a toughie. Yeah. Well, luckily you have a whole week to think of one. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to bring in James Monroe Iglehart as well yeah. and have him answer. And so we want him to answer, we'll answer, and we'll have your answers. You can use the hashtag this week in Marvel and email him to twinpodcast.marvel.com for us to talk about next week. But right now we have some answers from last week. Colin J at Colin J says, My fave Star Wars comic is the Darth Maul Son of Dathomir series. I'm obsessed with how Barlow went deeper into Maul's and Talzin's relationship, and her death really shaped his development. I haven't read this, but having just played the new Jedi Fallen Order game, which has a whole sequence set on Dathomir and like getting into that and thinking about that, makes me really want to check this out, especially now that Colin has suggested this. Thank you, Colin. Uh, next up, we have Simon Williams at Simon Sebs. Here are my Star Wars OTP, original trilogy Han and Leia, new trilogy Finn and Rey, and a close second Finn and Poe. I love it. Yeah. Also mentioned for Finn and Rose, Poe and BB-8, and The Mandalorian and Baby Yoda. I don't think those are OTPs, but I appreciate where you're going with it. Yeah. We did say friend OTPs was available. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Percier Berlin and Zachary Goldberg. Our audio development manager is Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. Special thanks to this week's unofficial sponsor, The Sith, because if you don't know them, now you do know Sith. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. And this is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.